only thing I'd like to add is, you know, it's not a good idea to send your son. <laughs> After three people got robbed <laughs> and beat up <laughs> to the same estate. <laughs> <laughs> I see that. I see that. <laughs> I was just thinking to myself, what, what possessed you to think? Oh, because he had a title and, and, and rank, they was gonna beat him up either. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nah, I, I see your point there. I mean, do you think at the time of the example, do you think that the son wanted to go, le- learning that three servants didn't come back? His father basically, <laughs> his father set him up. <laughs> Well, think about it this way too, right? Hey everyone, this is the truth of the matter is. I'm your host, Daniel, and I'm here with Jonathan. This is episode number 60. Speaking on behalf of myself and Jonathan, we appreciate everyone for listening in today. But before we begin, we'd like to give you a round of applause just for deciding to tune in. Now, this may be episode one in your book, or episode 60 as a long-time listener. But I just want to say thank you on behalf of myself and Jonathan, and we hope that you continue to press play at your own convenience. On the Truth of the Matter is podcast, it's about studying God's Word and allowing His Word to shape, mold, and fashion you to have a biblical perspective on life. It gives the individual a chance for their heart and mind to change and be inspired through the word of God, which we believe is alive and well. Now, before we begin, we think it's best that we start off with prayer. We find it helpful to pray because, again, it's free access to God, and he welcomes us to chat with him about anything, at any time, any place. If you want to have an open and honest conversation with him, he's here for you. Let's say it's about your worries, your concerns, even your well-being. How about family or friends and even enemies and acquaintances? Trust and believe me when I say God is listening. And he wants to have that conversation with you. Believe me when I say this. So now we will begin prayer. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, if there's anything I know about you, it is that you make all things brand new. And as one who will openly testify on this side of being brand new i would say proudly such which is for reasons that are hard to understand to some however the freedom that i found in you is a feeling like no other all i know is i am not the same person instead i'm a better person inside and out thanks to you jesus i know that you're a way maker you're a healer and a lover Therefore, Lord, as we go into your word today, bring spiritual awareness to the believer. Allow us to see things from a spiritual perspective, not from a worldly point of view. Give us the vision to see past the surface levels of things, but allow us to tap into your divine purpose for our lives. Lord, I believe that we can embrace the toughest tests ahead, the trials that come up, the storms that we face. I'm sure those challenges will be extremely difficult. But as a believer, I believe there's nothing that we can't handle. As ambassadors, as disciples, as representatives of you, there is nothing that we can't overcome because we placed our faith in you, Jesus. Obviously in life, Things will get tough. You will find yourself feeling trapped sometimes. However, I want to make sure that I say this. Try not to worry 
even though a lot of us probably would. But remember who's by your side every step of the way. Just as Peter was told by Jesus, I'm telling you that I pray that your faith fail you not and you will be better once you come out of that personal difficult challenge or storm that you will overcome it. Therefore, all who have accepted the cross that they have to carry in life, please say in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, before we get started, there's something I want to tell the people out there that they should be mindful of and aware of. So, what transpired last week for me on a Sunday was I was making a traditional recipe cucumber right so don't be alarmed cucumber with things that we put inside of it okay and what transpired was you know I put in red peppers in the cucumber and as I was tossing it finishing up the spice of the red peppers hit my right eye so immediately you know I rushed to the bathroom and I began to toss cold water on it just hoping and believing that the pain that I was suffering, the burning that I was feeling in my eye would go away. <laughs> this is not funny, Dave. <laughs> I was panicking. You would have thought this was like a public service announcement or just something that was like somebody actually died. <laughs> well, what occurred was I made a mistake. I began to this regret is it. Coming back, with, this was like a, a war. <laughs> <laughs> my life flashed before my eyes. And I started wondering what it would be like not to have both my eyes, you know. And I think the difficult thing about this situation is I wasn't able to decide which eye I wanted this to happen to. You know, I was like, man, when I read scripture, I won't be able to look through both my eyes now. So I, I was really, I was really, you know, concerned. And I was just praying why in the moment of tossing cold water in my eye that I'll be able to have vision again. Okay. Now, this here dramatic. This is how we start off the podcast. You come from a a very in depth, great prayer. We just had a conversation with God, and you're wasting His time about <laughs> because listen, you would have thought it was bleach. Listen, there's <laughs> listen, there's foods out there that have spices, and this is one of those moments where I want to warn the people: be careful. When you're eating spices. That's why yesterday when I brought you the ramen, I wanted to make sure you was going to be okay. Yeah, I was letting you know. I know you had glasses on, but moments like this make you rethink certain things. And and one of those things for me was I want to be conscientious of when I eat spicy foods. I might have to invest in some goggles or something or even when I'm cooking. You know what I want to invest in? Luke chapter 20, verse 9 through 18. Since you want to waste everybody's time. <laughs> why don't you, okay. Why don't you get into the, You're going to read the first paragraph today. You're going to read the first scripture Since you want to waste everybody's time With this ridiculous story That's fine I, I'm okay with that But before I do that I just want everybody to know You know I care about you You know the podcast is named For the truth of the matter is, And the truth of the matter is, is I almost lost one of my eyes that night The truth of the matter is He <laughs> would have been completely okay <laughs> Listen I. <laughs> All right, I can't wait for something to happen to you, and we'll see if we'll be laughing. All right, so now Daniel put me on the spot. So yes, I'm going to read. This is normally something Daniel does, but I don't mind doing it. I've done it before. I'm going to read Luke 20, verses 9 through 18. I'm going to look at this in the NLT, okay? And we're going to look at this in the NLT because I think it's best written there. So I'm going to get started. Now Jesus turned to the people again and told them this story. A man planted a vineyard, leased it to tenant farmers, and moved to another country to live for several years. At the time of the great harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers attacked the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. So the owner sent another servant. But they also insulted him, beat him up, and sent him away empty-handed. A third man was sent, and they wounded him and chased him away. 
What will I do? The owner asked himself. I know. I'll send my cherished son. Surely they will respect him. But when the tenant farmers saw his son, they said to each other, "Here comes the heir to this estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves." So they dragged them out of the vineyard and murdered them. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard would do to them? Jesus asked. I tell you, he will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. How terrible that such a thing should ever happen! His listeners protested. Jesus looked at them and said, "Then what does the scripture mean? The stone that the builders rejected has been, has become the cornerstone." Everyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone it falls on. The teachers of religious law and the leading priests wanted to arrest Jesus immediately, because they realized he was telling the story about them. They were the wicked farmers, for they were afraid of the people's reaction. So. Pre-warning, we're gonna go deep here, so I hope everyone's listening, and I want everybody to listen intentionally. Okay, so after that introduction to Luke twenty-nine to eighteen, from jump we see Jesus is doing something that I believe can change the mentality of how someone thinks. Now you might be asking, why am I saying that? If you want someone to be conscientious. About their behavior and the impact and the impact that they can have on others, you look no further than the phrase "public embarrassment." That's the phrase "public embarrassment." Now, public embarrassment, what it does is it leads you to reflect, but also psychologically, you become much more aware, much more in touch with every decision you make. You sort of filter out every choice you make and analyze the risks and the benefits. Every word that comes out of your mouth is calculated. Now there are some people who do this on the regular, and there are some who are forced to do that based upon an experience that they've had. Now, why do I believe it's a public embarrassment that can change a person's mindset or mentality? Well, if you go a few verses back, and if you were potentially listening to last week's episode, you would know that this transpired. Basically, Luke chapter twenty-one, verses one through seven, you're seeing that the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders at the time came to Jesus to challenge him on his credentials. Jesus made a conscious decision not to answer their question, but instead, what he does is he poses them with a question. The question was this: Daniel, can you remind the people and reread the verses four through seven in the NIV? I like it better in that translation. Yeah, I believe that was about John the Baptist and.、Um... I think he was from heaven or the human of origin.、Um, they discussed it among themselves and said, "If we say from heaven, he will ask, 'Why didn't you believe him?' But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet." So they answered, "We don't know where it was from." Okay. Now Jesus came to the conclusion that since. They weren't able to answer his question. He wasn't answering theirs. Now, what's so beautiful about the NLT is how smooth the transition was in the setting of this conversation. So imagine this, right? You're having a conversation with four people. You're facing them, right? Right after you're done, you then begin to. Face in the other direction to address a larger group of people. So imagine the four people you were addressing were on your right, 
in the large crowd of 60s on your left. Now, while you're speaking to the larger crowd, what's transpiring is the people actually heard. The four people heard what you said to the larger crowd. And what you ended up doing was mentioning a portion of that story to that larger crowd. I would hope to think that that was intentional, right? So the setting, the picture that you will see of that, you will have to admit that that's bold, but you also have to consider that it's surprising. And at the same time, it's needed to make a point, but in a way it could be wise or it could be seen as a jerk type of move. So here's another way to see this example or picture this, this picture in your head about what I'm talking about. So Jesus is approached by a certain group of people who want to challenge him on something. But right before you hit the stage, all the people in the crowd heard the conversation that was going on. How could they hear it? The mic's on. So, of course, the people in the crowd have their own thoughts about everything. And as soon as the conversation ends, Jesus uses the conversation he just had as material to provide insight on how he sees things more in a joking matter or on a serious level. Right. That to me is a bold move. Now, let's look at verse eight and see what it says. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Then right after in the NLT, Jesus in verse nine turns to the people again and told them this story. This is pretty much everything we went over. Now, imagine having to turn to the people in a group of four back and forth again and again. Right. The center of attention isn't on one group is actually on two, which means that there's a possibility that while Jesus was teaching, he was being interrupted. He was facing one way, but an annoying group of four was being loud and posing questions. So instead of looking to learn, we can say that they were complaining. Right. For the scripture to say again means it was a repetitive thing in this setting. And we could also surmise that they were being disrespectful by interrupting Jesus, which is why I believe Jesus intentionally tells the parable of this story to not only teach the people, but to address the leading priests, the teacher of religious law and the elders and, and a first in a future public embarrassment. That's what I thought that Jesus did. He did it in a further public embarrassment. And that happened futurely. And why do I say that? Well, remember what happened in verse five and six. We see that they huddled up. And one of the concerns they had was being stoned. Because the people were persuaded that John was a prophet. And if they disagreed with that, they realized that their life could be in danger. So I want to jump ahead to the end of our verse 18. Because I want to make a bigger point about the benefits of experiencing the public embarrassment. And we haven't talked about benefits. We've talked about the negative aspect. But Daniel... Can you read verse 19, please? The teachers of religious law and the leading priests wanted to arrest Jesus immediately because they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. Yeah, so in this portion of the scripture, I noticed rather than look to understand the parable and treat it as a teaching moment, they actually looked to kill Jesus instead. So based upon the public embarrassment that they had experienced, they learned absolutely nothing from their embarrassment other than shame. Now, usually there is something to learn while experiencing shame. 
Let's look up the word shame. Daniel? Shame. A painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. So we see the result of shame, right? It can be caused by foolish behavior. Not only that, it can brand you with the feeling of humiliation or distress. So when we go back to verse 19, we see retaliation out of the gate. We see a reaction that is fueled by negative impulses to cause harm to someone else who made you, who made them feel uncomfortable, even though it was self-harm because it was instigated by the intentions of the few. Now that would happen to be the group of four. Now, before we continue, I want to provide an example of of positive public embarrassment, right? You've gone over the negative element. Let's talk about the positive public embarrassment. We see here in Luke, the response was to arrest or kill Jesus. But the example I will provide is between brothers of the same faith. Not enemies, but brothers. Let's go to the book of Galatians, chapter 2. And we're going to take a look at verse 11 through 21 in the Amplified Version. Dan, you got this? Now when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him face to face about his conduct there. But he stood condemned by his own actions. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat his meals with the Gentiles. But when the men from Jerusalem arrived, he began to withdraw and separate himself from the Gentile believers because he was afraid of those from the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in this hypocrisy, ignoring the knowledge that Jewish and Gentile Christians were united under the new covenant into one faith. With the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas, Peter, in front of everyone, if you, being a Jew, live as you have been living, like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how is it that you are now virtually forcing the Gentiles to live like Jews if they want to eat with you? I went on to say, we are Jews by birth and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Yet we know that man is not justified and placed in right standing with God by works of the law, but only through faith in God's beloved Son, Christ Jesus. And even we as Jews have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. By observing the law, no one will ever be justified, declared free of the guilt of sin and its penalty. But if... While we seek to be justified in Christ by faith, we ourselves are found to be sinners. Does that not make Christ an advocate or promoter of our sin? Certainly not. For if I or anyone else should rebuild through word or by practice what I once tore down, the belief that observing the law is essential for salvation, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law. And its demands on me because salvation is provided through the death and resurrection of Christ. So that I might, from now on, live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. That is, in Him I I have shared His crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body I live by faith, by adhering to, relying on, and completely trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not ignore or nullify the gracious gift of the grace of God, his amazing, unmerited favor, for his righteousness comes through observing the law. Then Christ died needlessly. His suffering and death will have no purpose whatsoever. Good job, Daniel. So this could be seen as a positive public embarrassment, but you could also see it as a public rebuke. Let me say that again. This can be seen as a positive public embarrassment, but you could also look at it as a public rebuke. Now, let's look up the word rebuke for better clarification. Rebuke. Express sharp disapproval or criticism of someone because of their behavior or actions. 
So we learn a lot because the conversation between Paul and Peter was made public. And it set in motion how Christians are supposed to act while being under grace, not under the law. So there's an example of public embarrassment that doesn't end with the call for someone to be arrested or killed. Now, I want to go back to the beginning of our text for today, and I want us to walk through a few verses before we get to the main message along the way. Right. I think along the way we will unpack some things like we've just done for our learning. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having multiple takeaways. Amen. So, Daniel, could you read verses back in Luke 20 verses nine and ten, please? Now, Jesus turned to the people again and told them this story. A man planted a vineyard, leased it to tenant farmers, and moved to another country to live for several years. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers attacked the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. Good job. Let's talk about the selected term here that Jesus uses in the story. Lease. Let's define it. Lease. A contract by which one party conveys land, property, services, etc. to another for a specified time, usually in return for a periodic payment. So it's important to understand why Jesus uses lease in his example and not rent. The reason is because there's a big difference. A rental agreement tends to cover a shorter term, usually about 15 or 30 days, while lease contract is applied to a longer period of time, usually 12 months, although I have heard of six and 18 month contracts also. So keep that in mind. If we go back to verses nine through 10, we see that the man who planted the vineyard and leased it to the tenant farmers and moved to another country to live for several years, all along, we can surmise that he wanted the flexibility to have access to the shared crop. Which is why we see that he sends his servant to collect his share of the crop. When this is something we have to consider when harvest time arrives, there's an understanding that the process to get to this point took a while. You understand that the development and the strategicness had to be applied to get to this point. That is indefinitely something you can understand something i can understand as well is because i help my mom in the garden all the time and i've watched her plant these things with the proper dirt and necessities that go in the ground it's a process it's the the continuation of the constant watering sunlight you know everything in that takes a while and then as it grows and develops into something you've learn to appreciate the process and the stages that it went through in order to produce something that you can eat and enjoy. Now, what we see from verses 11 through 17 is a man who sends three servants, all being wounded and beaten up and, of course, left empty-handed. We see that same man sent his son, who happens to be the heir of this estate and the result of that is that he gets killed jesus informs them that the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone now this is a problem right because there's so much we can break down but i want to focus on verse 18 verse 18 runs deep which is why we're going to unpack it daniel can you read verse 18 Everyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone it falls on. Now, this one verse, read in proper context and understood correctly, can change your life. This one verse gave me a preview on how deep God can be when he gets ready. And you're about to see why I say that. But before I go, any further, I would like to read a portion of episode 60, the description that was written for this week's podcast. Now, the description is what you'll see when you click on 
every podcast episode. Now, the description usually will help you get a feel of whether you want to listen to that episode or not. I would like to believe what is written there is very important. And I want to read a portion of it. Then I will begin to go through the process of unpacking verse 18. At any moment in time, then you're welcome to join or make any comments or points. Totally up to you. So this is the description. In today's society, there seems to be a habit of revisiting popular catchphrases and quotes to later point out the potential hypocrisy in them. A great example of one is sticks and stones may break my bones, but words would never hurt me. The original takeaway is that a physical attack can very well injure me, but in no way does a verbal attack have the same impact. However, things have changed. Mental health has become much more of a serious concern. A verbal lashing can have as much of an impact as a physical attack because of the underlining trauma it creates. On the Truth of the Matter is podcast, that's us, we are going to discuss the philosophical, psychological, and historical need for brokenness. So, we're going to talk about the need for brokenness. Again, some people will look at things and say one thing, why there's a deeper meaning behind the need for stuff. So, Daniel, what does the definition of being broken mean from a worldly perspective? Broken. Suffering emotional pain that is so strong that it changes the way you live usually as a result of an unpleasant event. All right, so let's talk and let's be honest here. Being broken is a very unpleasant experience. It can make you feel uncomfortable. You start to feel extremely vulnerable. It's a feeling that none of us are really prepared for. And unfortunately, In life, things tend to happen, and I believe most of us have had this experience. The truth of the matter is, no one gets away from experiencing brokenness. Now that we understand that and have defined brokenness from a worldly point of view, let's look at it from a biblical point of view as well, right? It's important that we do both sides. According to the believer's perspective, Being broken is a gift. I'm going to say that one more time. Being broken is a gift. Well, why do I say that? Because as believers, when we are broken, we recognize the need for a savior to make us whole. The truth of the matter is, if I walk around claiming that there's nothing wrong with me and I'm fine, I'm living my best life. I'm okay. I would have to believe to some extent that that's a lie. Because I believe there is something that we all struggle with, personal or not. Right? None of us are perfect. And we are all in need of help of some kind. The truth of the matter is being broken allows you to experience humility. I know we're looking up a lot of terms today, but we want to be strategic in how we break this down and we want to give you the platform and the opportunity and the chance not to just take notes, but to also look these things up as you follow along. So, Daniel, what does the word humility mean? Freedom from pride or arrogance. So there are those who have a lot of pride, and guess what? That continues to get in the way of their growth and development in life. I'm going to say that one more time. There are some people who have a lot of pride, and ultimately that pride can get in the way of your growth and development. 
if we go back to verse 17, before we understand verse 18, we see that the context in 17 opens the door for 18. So, Dane, what does verse 17 say? Jesus looked at them and said, Then what does this scripture mean? The stone that the builders reject has now become the cornerstone. What Jesus is saying here is, guess what? The person that you're choosing not to accept, that's me. Unfortunately, you may not like me, but I'm the key to all of this. So the stone that you're ignoring, that you're paying no mind, yeah, I'm that cornerstone. And oh, by the way, I'm needed. Not just by you, but by everyone. Dang, do you read verse 18 once more again, please? Everyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone it falls on. So let's understand what it means to stumble over something or to stumble across or to stumble on or to stumble onto, to stumble over, to stumble upon. Any of those phrases work. To stumble upon, this is what we find in the text, is to learn about something unexpectedly. It's to find or learn about something unexpectedly. So let me ask everyone this. Has anyone ever stumbled over a curve in the street, a toy? And immediately looked to see what it was that caused them to almost fall or actually fall. In that moment, your curiosity, I would believe, is heightened. Your mind goes to that place where immediately you want to face what caused that problem. Right. Whether you actually busted your face or caught yourself before you actually fell. In the scripture, there's a term that is attached to stumbling, and it has an impact on many of us. It's called a stumbling block, which is a metaphor for behavior or attitude that leads another to sin or to destructive behavior. I'll repeat that one more time. Stumbling block is a metaphor for behavior or attitude that leads another to sin or to destructive behavior. In verse 18, Jesus is what? You're stumbling over. In verse 18, Jesus is what? You're stumbling over him. Why are you stumbling over him? First, who is Jesus? That's God in the flesh. And unfortunately, even today, many haven't and refuse to recognize him as such. The issue is a lot of the people during that time, especially the disciples, didn't recognize him. Didn't recognize that a perfect being among them didn't sin. But that perfect being was walking with them, eating with them, and sleeping with them. I believe it was 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 that says, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. So, has God not dwelled with them? You see that in the Old Testament. How about walk among them? We see that in the Gospels. That would have to be Jesus, right? If we're looking at 2 Corinthians 6.16, we'll have to see that for God to dwell with them and walk with them, that would have to be the presence of the dwelling and physical of the walking. Okay? The point that I am making is that there were plenty of times that the glory, the power, and the authority of Jesus potentially was overwhelming. And the truth of the matter is, is when you're around someone like that, 
you start to come to the conclusion and grips that you shouldn't be with them. In fact, you start to realize that you and that person don't deserve to be in the same room. Right? You start to come to the conclusion that you're not worthy. Okay? And there's portions in the scripture where people come to that grips. One of them is where Jesus was speaking to Peter and he told him that I'm going to teach you the fish, not for fish, but actual people. But in that time, he talked about all his flaws and issues. And Jesus understood that. Because not only that, Jesus knew who he was. And Peter knew who he was. I think I said Paul, but I meant Peter. Sorry about that. Now, Jesus obviously had an overwhelming presence. And the big difference between then and now is the method of God and how he holds us accountable. I think, obviously, things have changed. And this is what I mean. At the time, people had a much more of a physical interaction with Jesus. Now, obviously, Jesus has departed to heaven and will return again. Therefore, a lot of the presence of Christ is the Holy Spirit, right? So remember, right, if we go to the book of Hebrews chapter 1, the first thing we realize is it tells us, and I'm going to read this, I believe in the NIV. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who he appointed heir of all things, to whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majestic in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he had inherited and superior to theirs. So the reason why I'm saying that it's because there are those who are saved that can attest that many of them had a come to Jesus moment. Now, before I can dig deeper to something like that, verse 18 specifically speaks about being broken to pieces or being crushed. Right. And if you think about it, to be broken and to be crushed is for two different things to have happened. When someone is broken, the fragments are in separate pieces, but yet still intact. When someone is crushed, it is noted that the thing is pulverized, pulverized, rendering it into small, disconnected fragments. Big difference there. What I'm saying here is that when something is broken, you have the chance to fix it. You have the opportunity to put it back together. When something is crushed, the likelihood of putting it back together is slim to none. Why? Because the pieces are smaller. The pieces are also very disconnected. So think about it. It's better to fall onto something than for something to fall on you. Now, I'm sure at some point we've all broken something, whether it was in the living room or the kitchen that belonged to our parents that was brought for the house. And guess what? When it broke, we were likely playing around, messing around. Another thing that I can speak about is one of the ways that there was an attempt to try to fix it is we use crazy glue or gorilla glue or duct tape. And from doing that, you realize that it never came out perfect, like it was brand new. Instead, you can still see that it was broken. 
right? That even though you fixed it to look presentable, you still notice the flaw in the fact that it was once broken. Now, let me bring up a sports point before I hit home the major point that I'm making. There are two of the most dangerous injuries in sports. Your ACL and your Achilles. Most athletes don't come back from those. At least at one point in time. So, I'm talking about since the 70s is where injuries of significant kind started transpiring to around 2010. However, because of the involvement in technology, at least from 2010 to about 2022, doctors have the ability to do procedures with better percentage success and repair ligaments and tears at a better clip. But let's focus more on the Achilles injury. The first person to tear that was a man by the name of Elgin Baylor in the 70s. Most say he wasn't the same after the surgery. And then you have a man by the name of Kevin Durant who won two back-to-back championships with the Golden State Warriors. In the third, he tore his Achilles. Now, many said that it looked like the experience that Elgin Baylor had. And because the injury was the same, he also has to go through surgery as well. Most believe that Kevin Durant would not come back the same way. That was what was predicted. However, due to advancement in technology, we can see now that he's actually boiling out. He's actually playing like nothing happened. In fact, he put in the work. He rehabbed so hard. And out of all that work and that belief in himself, he was able to overcome the injury. He was broken, but because of the times and the development in technology, his dream to play a game, his dream to play again at that level, he was able to do. Now, I want us to understand who Jesus is and why is Jesus the cornerstone. When you encounter Jesus, the reality is he's going to force you to look in the mirror of yourself. He's going to want you to ask questions about your contentment, about how you're living, who you are, and if you're being what you were called to be. A lot of us won't open up our Bibles because we think that the Bible is judging us. But I want to challenge you today and say, brothers and sisters, it's not judging you, it's convicting you. And it's convicting you because it's challenging you on your merit, on your reasoning of why you're doing certain things. And remember, Jesus is the word, right? He's the living word. And if you're going to walk and fellowship with Jesus, things have to change. You have to expect change on your end so you can walk in association with Jesus, right? To walk in the light as he is in the light, you can't be the same. So as individuals that are saved, I want to speak for them for a little bit. We begin to realize after reflecting over our choices that we've made, whether it is in the past or not. You start to come to the conclusion that there's something wrong, right? That people in this world go through things and they never come back the same. You start to realize that you see yourself as a broken and wounded individual. You then begin to realize that you need a savior. This is what happens when you stumble over this stone, Jesus Christ. There's a reason that the sacrifice Jesus asks us for is for a broken heart and a contrite spirit. 
A broken heart is one that is open to him, that lets in his grace and appreciates his mercy. Once we accept him as our Savior, Jesus then becomes everything we will ever need. In fact, there's a song written by Kirk Franken, and it's called You Are. And in this song, he talks about everything Jesus is to him. And I'm sure a lot of us can relate over the years as we testify and attest to what Christ has meant to us. So quickly, I just want to say a couple of things that he says in this song, and you're entitled to go check it out. I would encourage you to, right? So he says, Jesus, right? You are my joy within. Obviously, there's a big difference between joy and happiness. Joy is something that happens from the inside out. Happiness is something that transpires temporarily. But the impact that joy has isn't it impacts everything out from the inside out. And it produces a much, a much more sustainable and regular feeling where happiness can be temporarily. Right. Someone could do something nice for me today, treat me like crap the next day. And that happiness only lasted for that period of time. OK. It said that the song says, you are my shelter from the wind. You are my forgiver of my sins. Everything I ever need. You are. You are the convictor when I'm wrong. You are my cornerstone. You are my friend when I'm alone. You are my peace within my storm. You are my healer, my lawyer, my provider, my promise keeper. You're a way maker. So just like Kevin Durant, who experienced full recovery and the possible feeling of being better than he was, after the injury, because now he has total confidence in his Achilles. I can promise you and assure you that you will be sure of yourself once Jesus re-edifies you. Hence the title of this week's podcast, Re-edification, which means to make anew, to build again after destruction. Remember what Jesus has done for each and every one of us, whether we choose to accept the gift or not. Right. Jesus has saved us from a life of sin, a destiny of dying in our sins and our iniquities. Jesus will put you back together in his image. You will start to think with a kingdom mindset. You will begin to live it out, walk it out, talk it out. And I want to say, don't underestimate God's ability because he uses broken souls to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength and broken people like myself to do great things. As a family of believers, we were all broken. And because of Jesus Christ. We've been put back together, whether it's brick by brick, whether it's a little bit at a time. We've all become better people. So the world may not see value in brokenness. But as believers, we see the value of it from every angle. And on that note. If there's nothing that Daniel would like to add, we will jump right into devotional time. The only thing I'd like to add is, you know, it's not a good idea to send your son. <laughs> After three people got robbed <laughs> and beat up <laughs> to the same estate. <laughs> <laughs> I see that. I see that. <laughs> I was just thinking to myself, what what possessed you to think, oh, because he had a title and, and, and rank, they wasn't going to beat him up either? <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I, I see your point there. I mean, do you think at the time of the example, do you think that the son wanted to go le- learning that three servants didn't come back? His father basically, <laughs> his father set him up. <laughs> 
Well, think about it this way too, right? If if you want to dig even deeper, when you look at the stories that have transpired in the book of Judges and the book of Kings, remember what I read in uh, Hebrews, right? Hebrews chapter one. I read this to you. I said, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. We could stop right there and talk about all the prophets from their own lands. None of them made it back. None of them made it back. And these are prophets that God ordained to speak to his people the message. None of them made it back. Most of them were killed. Right. And then it goes on to say at many times and in various ways, that means there were people that God used like judges, for an example. And those were all many Jesuses to save people and be there. And guess what? Some of them were killed, too. So I guess the point that I'm making is. You know. Never send a boy to do a mercenary's job. Or you you can see that, you know, part of doing what God asks you might cause you to die. You may not make it back. Yes. Yeah, right. Series, so and we learned that about yeah, the apostles, so too. Prophets. Yeah, many prophets, many apostles. Have, and the Christians uh, that died by Nero, the, the 3,000. Mm-hmm. So. Even in the parable, and you look back, you know, what was something that Jesus said? He says, remember, if they hated you, they hated me first. (laughs) Right? So, not everyone's going to like the Christian. Right? So, but yeah, that that to me is a funny story. I don't know if my father said, hey, you know, there were three servants that I sent died. Do you want to go now? But it's supposed to foreshadow what God has been doing for his people. And unfortunately, it was destined and needed. All right. So on that note, we jump right into devotional time. You know, you shouldn't be surprised that the more you grow in Christ, the more you will realize how little you truly know him. Sometimes the prize seems elusive and just out of reach. It reminds me of Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 in the NIV version. It says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And there's a story about Paul who outlined his strategy for taking hold of more and more of God in his life. And at first, one of the things he recognized is don't expect to ever truly reach that goal. The one that God has set out for you. And Paul also thought as a second rule that the more Christ takes hold of you, the more you're captivated by his power and and the presence that he'll have in your life. And the more you're motivated to pursue him. A third law that he made for himself is let the past, what is mistakes and his failures, stay in the past. It's not a good idea to identify yourself with your past because that version of you is no longer here today so don't long for what you had yesterday and understand that backwards focus presents prevents forward motion and fourthly press on the word translated on the definition of press on means to run swiftly in order to catch a person or thing just as athletes approach the finish line and they lean into that tape if they're running a race or Kevin Durant leans on God to help heal that Achilles. You should exert every effort and lean into God because he's there for you. That's what our prayer about in the beginning of today's episode was about leaning on God. And understand, when it's all said and done, there's a prize. And that prize is so wonderful that it's more than enough to keep you in the race so we hope to set you on the right path of the week with this very quick and small prayer father 
Give me the determination to take firm hold of the promise of eternal life in Jesus and help me to never lose the heavenly vision that you have set for my life. Allow me to operate boldly in righteousness and affect the others that I meet in my life. In your holy name we say, Amen. Amen.